We started a campaign last week. This is a, really the Lord, the Holy Spirit laid this on my wife's heart to begin this. And people think, well, we just came up with a little sign. No, this was prayed in. This was thought through. This was prayed for. Uh, he is our refuge, Psalm 91. We just have a few of these left. And, uh, but we have 200 more coming on Monday or Tuesday. Because we're going to flood this city. We're going to keep ordering 200 and 200 more and 200 more. Do you see them? We already see them in other churches because we want this word to get out because we need, we need Jesus in our city. Uh, so when we, when we talk about this, uh, Psalm 91, a lot of people became very popular to talk about Psalm 91 uh, on 911. When it actually, when the, when the towers fell and uh, 911 became, hey, this is our go-to psalm. And so many people, that's their psalm when they're in a time of emergency. Uh, how many of you have ever actually called 911 operator? You actually called them, saw something, a wreck or something? You know, there's a lot more that goes into being a 911 operator than you think. So I've found a video that will actually t tell you something because we need to pray for them. They're first responders. They're actually the first of the first responders. So unless it's you, okay, that is calling them. So I want you to watch this video about uh, 911 operators. Hi, my name is Emily Peak. I'm a communications supervisor with the Westminster Police and Fire Department. I've been with the city since 2010 and in this role for the past two years. Here in the Westminster Dispatch Center, we answer all 911 and non-emergency calls for the city of Westminster. In 2014, we answered over 220,000 phone calls. We also dispatch for the police, fire departments, and animal management. We also talk with several other city departments, including utilities, streets, snowplow drivers, and Stanley Lake Rangers. Dispatchers never know what will be on the other end of the line when they pick up the phone. A typical day may include a hysterical mom with her baby not breathing, a tow company reporting a repossession, an officer involved in a vehicle pursuit, a domestic violence call, a suspicious person near a school, an oven on fire, and really anything else you can imagine. Because we take such a wide variety of calls, we must be familiar with all the different resources in the city and surrounding areas. We constantly communicate with schools, hospitals, Excel, and neighboring police and fire agencies. When we look to hire dispatchers, we look for someone that's great at multitasking, making decisions, can work long, often overnight hours, has great customer service skills, and is calm under pressure. Training to become a dispatcher is a very lengthy process. In order to get hired, you must pass a two-hour dispatch-specific computer test and then a two-hour written test that evaluates your multitasking and decision-making skills. Once you're hired, we do an in-house classroom-style academy for about five weeks where you learn the basics of call-taking, dispatching, geography, personnel, policies, and liability. Training then moves to the dispatch floor where you're paired with an on-the-job trainer for six to eight months every day. Hi, I'm Sylvia Montoya and I am currently in our training academy to be a 911 dispatcher. It's pretty intense training. We are learning right now. We're going through computer programs, um, everything that goes into taking a 911 call. We're also learning emergency medical dispatch um, so that we can also do that and be certified. Westminster 911. Dispatchers are responsible for knowing a great deal of information and must be prepared to handle many different situations. All of our dispatchers are also nationally certified in emergency medical dispatching. This qualifies us to talk callers through medical issues from CPR to childbirth and everything in between, giving callers life-saving information before an ambulance arrives on scene. My name is Julie Gant. I work in police and fire dispatch. I've been here about eight years. 
Um, I would have to say my favorite part of the job is probably the people I get to work with every day, whether it be our citizens or my coworkers in dispatch, the officers we get to deal with. Every day is different, and it's just enjoyable. It's a great group to work with. Yeah, let's give our 911 operators a hand. I'll just tell you that now I'm not going to apply for that job. And I know a lot of people in here that you do not want to apply for that job because you're not a multitasker. Now, my wife could probably handle that. But did you see all of the things that they have to know? They have to know CPR, how to tell somebody to do CPR. Childbirth. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that one. You're in a water taxi. Okay, you know. We've seen the movies. We've seen, But they're always calm under pressure. They know the right things to say, and they have to, and at the same time, they have to be doing this and contacting the right people while they're listening to somebody frantically scream on the other line. And I watched a lot of videos because I found out that they get a lot of crank calls. Did you know you can get arrested for doing that? Don't order pizza on 911. Don't ask them for Domino's number. They don't do that. But people actually do that. They, they would prank call the 911 like they can't figure out who called them. <laughs> I know exactly where you are, and we're sending an officer there now. <laughs> so... But I, just, I wanted you to see that because I wanted you to see that as we see, as we look into Psalm 91, there's so much more in the Word of God than we sometimes give it credit to have in there. And like in one or two verses, it can change your, change your whole life. It can change your world. There's so much packed into Psalm 91. It's going to take me a few weeks. I don't know how long we're going to take to get through this, but we're just going to go through two verses today. But I want you to understand when we, when we look at these two verses they are packed full of information, and that's what we need as Christians. We need more than information. We need to know the operator. We used to sing, I was in a quartet. I used to be in the Southern Gospel Quartet. We used to sing a song called Operator, Give Me Jesus. Anybody ever heard that song? And, and it's, it's kind of that way for us. We need, sometimes we make those emergency calls to Jesus, and we need him on the phone right now, and we need him to answer us right now. So... As we come into this 911 series, I want you to be reminded of who you're calling on in a time of emergency, in a time of distress. I want you to know who you're connected with. What is, what is one of the things that operators always say when they get somebody on the line? They say, stay on the line, don't they? Don't hang up, don't hang up. There's a little kid that's calling 911. They say, don't hang up because they need to be there. With, they need to talk them through something. See, some of us, we get through the emergency with God, and then we hang up. We say, oh, thank you, I hang up, and then we'll go on with our life. And God doesn't want us to do that. So this morning, as we get into this, I want you to understand the power of the Word. That's what I want you to get more than anything this morning on who you're calling. Did you know that you're not sure who wrote this psalm? I'm just going to give you a little background to it. Many theologians believe that Moses wrote Psalm 91. Hmm. Many believe that King David wrote Psalm 91, but they're never, nobody's def, defini, defined it as to either one of them. Maybe it's somebody else. But as we look at this psalm, think of Moses writing this or think of King David writing this. You see, the world, the Word of God is powerful. It's more than just a good read. Y'all know that? It's, more than, it's a God read. When you read the Word of God, you're, when you read the Bible, you're reading God. You're reading Jesus Christ. So it's powerful. When you put this sign out in your yard, when you stick, how many of you got one so far? Raise your hand. Woo, that's awesome. 
If you've got this sign, you want to put this in your yard with somebody, don't put it where people can't see it. Put it where people can see it. Where's Reagan? Where's Reagan Brown? Is she here? Come on, what are you doing? Back that girl. Come on. She put a sign in her yard, hers in Archie's yard, and she has a testimony to share about what God's already done with the word in her yard. Y'all welcome Reagan. She wasn't going to be here this morning because she didn't have child seats. Um, okay, so I put a sign in our yard, but about a year and a half ago, God told me that our house specifically would be a light in the darkness, and I had no idea what that meant, and he said that when people drive by, they would know that hope could be found there, and um, I stored that away. I was like, okay, you know, cool, uh, and then on Friday, a man showed up to our door, and he was just asking about the sign and uh, where he could get one, so him and Archie started talking, and they're just talking about this Psalm 91, and he starts crying, and this man has cancer. And just right in that moment, Archie was just like, I'm going to pray over you, and just started praying over him. And in that moment, denominations didn't matter. It didn't matter that he wasn't coming to our church or that maybe he didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We just right there in the moment in our driveway prayed over him and gave him that hope because uh, it just feels like the world is so dark right now. And in that moment, I knew that was exactly what God was speaking to me, is people driving by, seeing a sign, and able to stop or go and read this verse. And so, yes, uh, God also told me after this that it's not time to hide. It's time to rise. It's time to shine. So no more hiding. Just be bold. Is it true that he never had read that? So he had never read Psalm 91 before. Someone had given him the verse after he was diagnosed. And so uh, he came to really, like, understand this verse and find hope in that. And so there's a little bit of it. Yeah. So that's just the first testimony I've heard from the sign. But I believe we're going to hear many, many, many more. And we've prayed over a blanket, and they're going to take a sign to him today and a prayer blanket for him. So thank you for putting a sign out. Thank you for purchasing the signs. Thank you for getting the word out that God is still on the throne, that he is our refuge. Amen? Amen. I, I just I thought that was incredible. She called me this morning. I said, I know you're going to be ready for this testimony. She said, well, Archie had to leave town to go to work, and he took all the baby seats with him. So I can't come. I can't bring the kids because all the, the seats are gone. That I think she got help from a neighbor. He borrowed some from a neighbor. She said, you know, God didn't, I mean, the devil didn't want her to share that today. But she did. Yeah, amen. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm just going to say this. Some of you are still not taking me seriously when I say you need to be in the Word every day. I know it. You know how I know it? I know it because of the phone calls I get and the problems that you're going through, the things that I hear that are going on in your lives because I believe if you're in the Word, if you're attached, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you won't have to have the emergency 911 calls all the time. It may come time to time, but... You're going to be so saturated with the word. Listen, you. Th this is not. This is not something that we just can. You can compromise or rationalize and say, "Well, it's not important." It's. It's so. It's. It's supremely important that you're in the word. And I'm talking every day. I'm not. I'm saying if it's just a devotional by your commode. 
I know that's a holy place. But if it's just a devotional in that little basket or whatever it is on by your commode that you would pick up in the morning, because I know you got to go there. Start a habit of reading your devotional because most devotionals have the Word of God in there somewhere. And get inspired from that. And the first thing in the morning when you get up, say, Okay, God, I know I've got to go, but I need, I, need, I need encouragement for today. And get the Word out. Get the devotional. And maybe that will lead you to the next step of opening your Bible and studying the Word of God. Maybe that will lead you to bringing your family into the, into the process and say, We're going to read the Word today. We're going to take communion today. We're going we're to see what God has for us today. It's so important that we get the Word in us. John 6, 63, when Jesus said he had told all these disciples, all these followers, he had fed them the, the, five, you know, the, the bread and the fish, and they were following him around because he was just feeding them. And then he finally said, listen, he's going to sort them out. He's going he's gonna to call them out who the real followers are. And he said, now, really, if you want to know me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And many of them just went, oh, you've got to be kidding. And they left. They walked away from him even before he could finish talking about him, telling him what he was talking about. That it was a spiritual matter. And then he said this in John 6, verse 63. He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, say the words. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are what? They're life. So he was speaking words of life. Even then, he was speaking words of life. And he looked around, and all these people that had been following him, all these people that had been, been, been disciples, had been learning from him, they just walked away in droves because they said, well, we just can't do that. And he looked at his other disciples. He looked at his inner circle and he said, do you want to, do you want to leave too? And I love what, what Simon Peter said in verse 68. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, it's not just enough to know the word. It's, you know, who's backing the word. And the word, the one that's backing the word is the Son of the living God. That's what made it so vitally important for them to stay connected to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that you know the Word of God, because if you don't know the Word of God, man, the enemy will blindside you all day long. You won't know how to counter him. Jesus said when the devil came after Jesus, said, it is written, it is written, it is written. We got to know what's written. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God, say the Word of God. What is it? It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and what? The intents of the heart. In other words, the Word of God will do surgery on you. When you're lost, when you're confused, when you're in chaos, and you go to the Word, God says, listen, I'm going to start sorting things out in your life, but you've got to get in the Word. You've got to know me. See, if you don't know the Word, you don't really know God very well. He is the, he's the written word. Jesus said he is the written word. He was the flesh that came and dwelt among us. He is the word. Say, Jesus is the word. So let's get started. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 91. If you haven't already turned there, I'm going to do a whole two verses in the New King James Version. Let me just read the first two verses, and then we're going to dissect them. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. So we talked about Psalm 91 as our emergency call, but it's way more than that. God just, He doesn't just want us to call Him in a time of emergency, does He? 
He wants us to dwell with Him. He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to seek out His presence. He wants us to live under His shelter. We're not just temporary residents, church. He wants us to abide in His presence. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So the first thing that everything else is based upon in this whole psalm is the first three words. He who dwells. He who dwells. She who dwells. You understand that? This is a condition. Everything after this is, a, is conditional upon if we choose to dwell. If I were to ask you, where do you live? Some of you would say, well, San Angelo, Texas. Some of you would say, you give me your street address. Some of you would say, well, I, I live under a bridge. Some of you would say, but you know where you dwell. You know where you live. That's all that means is where do you live? Where do you, where do you dwell? And that's what he's asking here this morning. He says, if, he says, he who dwells. So you hear the writer of Psalms is inspired by the Holy Spirit to lay the groundwork for the rest of this. If you choose to dwell. Where do you dwell this morning? Where do you live? Where's your spiritual life based? Where do you, where are you receiving your strength from? Where are you planting at? Where are you dwelling this morning? He who dwells. He who dwells. John 15, 7 says, if, say if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But it says, if. See, the word of God promises in the word of God. Most of his promises, not all of them, most of his promises are conditional. We don't like that. We just like to say, well, God's going to do this. He's going to do it. No, he wants you to engage with him. He wants you to cooperate with him. He wants us to partner with him. We partner with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we've got to find that place of how do we dwell with him? How do we stay with him? How do we remain with him? And that's what Psalm 91 is going to show us this morning. He says, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, the word, again, he's talking about the word of God abiding in you. That's the starting point this morning is if you dwell. You know how you begin that dwelling with him? You give your life to Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you do. If you want to dwell with him, you've got to... You've got to make a way to, to live with Him. You've got to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. You have to surrender your life to Him. You have to submit to Him. That's when you begin the dwelling process. He who dwells, where? In the secret place. Say the secret place. The secret place, some translations say shelter. The definition when you look it up in the, in the Hebrew is also shelter. If you dwell, he who dwells in the secret place, in the shelter, it's a covering, it's a safe place. How many of you have ever been uh, in a cellar when a tornado hit? Let me see. Isn't it creepy? My, my, my uh, grandmother lived in Ballinger. Both sets of my grandparents lived in Ballinger. And she had a, a storm cellar. And it was like, not like what you see today. It wasn't like concrete walls and all that. It was like a, ugh, it's dirt walls just dug out in the ground. And we would, whenever there was to be a storm come up there, everybody go in the cellar. Like, I don't think, I, I want to weather the storm. I want to stay outside because I don't know about all the creeping things that are in there. You know? 
But what does the what what does man say to do if there's a tornado and you don't have a cellar to get into, and you don't have a your house doesn't have an inside wall and doesn't have a bathtub, you don't have a mattress that you can actually pull over your head. Maybe let's just say you're out in the field somewhere. What what does man say? What's the smartest thing you can do out in a field in a tornado? You see a tornado coming. What do you do? You get low. You find the lowest place in the ground, Reuben. You, you find a place, if, man, if there's a little ditch, if there's any place you get, you get low. And if you want to abide with Christ, if you want to go to the safe place, I suggest that you get low. And now that doesn't mean you have to go this way all day long and lay out on the carpet, you know? Do carpet time with God. See how fast I jumped up? Honey, help me. It means you live in an attitude of gratitude. You live with an attitude of humility. You live in an attitude of worship. See, you can praise Him from the, from the lowest place because you recognize that He is high above. And you want to worship Him. So if we're going to get in the secret place, guys, it's not the place of pride. You can't get in the secret place and be prideful about, oh, look what I've accomplished, look who I am, and your identity is in something other than Jesus Christ. You have to get low. You have to go low with your attitude, with your heart, with your mind, with your spirit. You have to say, God, listen, without you I can do nothing, but with you all things are possible. We have to find that place of shelter, the secret place. When we get that revelation of His power and His protection, His great love toward us, then we will gladly submit to His ways. When, you, when we get through these two verses, you're going to say, wow, why would I not want to submit to Him? Why would I not want to submit to God? Getting to the secret place also requires something I know a lot of you think you don't have enough of, and it's T-I-M-E, time. You know, I've heard that before. How do you spell love? You're talking to a married couple, and they're going through a difficult time. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. And the husband usually goes, oh, and I just don't have enough T-I-M-E to go A-R-O-U-N-D. Any more time. But some of you, some of us, we neglect to spend that quality time with our Lord and our Savior. We neglect to get into that place of peace, that place of rest, that shelter, and dwell with Him. Are you dwelling with Him this morning? He who dwells in the secret place of who? The Most High. Say the Most High. This is the first name out of four. There are four names of God in the first two verses. This is Elion. Elion means the Most High. There is none higher. There's none higher. We are dwelling. When we are dwelling with God, we are dwelling with the one who is the highest. There's none above him. You understand that? You can't go anywhere. Nobody is above him. No one is above him. But we tend to put other things and other people above him in our own life. And we wonder why we're going through such hell. And why do we have to call 911 all the time? Oh, God, help me out of this because, listen, the reason we have to call Him so often is because we're not dwelling. We're not staying in the secret place. We're not recognizing that He is the Most High God, that He is Elion. Ephesians 2, 6, a lot of people go, I don't understand this verse. I think I've had a revelation of it. I've heard different definitions or, or people talking about what it means to them. He says this, He raised us up with Christ the exalted one and we ascended with Him to the glorious perfection and the authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated. Say co-seated. 
We are co-seated as one with Christ. Listen, when we come into the kingdom of God, it says we are seated with him. You know why I believe? I know that because the Bible says I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Right? John 17. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So where are we? We're seated at the right hand of the Father spiritually. So we are seated in heavenly places. He is the highest. He is the highest form of any God. He is the highest form. We are seated. We are co-laborers with him in that place. That ought to get you excited because, see, we see things differently. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We should see things differently than the world. Our perspective, the way we see people, should be different than the way the world sees people. But you know, sometimes we fall into the same old ruts and traps and we start talking like the world. And I'm not talking about using bad language. I'm just talking about how we put people down. How we talk about people behind their back. How we gossip. We get caught up in this, the swirl of the world and, and, the, and, and all the, the bad talk, all the bad language, all these things. And we, we forget that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and we see things differently. We don't see people as lost and hopeless. We see them as hopeful. We, see, we don't see a drug addict. We see somebody, that, the, the, the possibilities, the potential that they have. If you don't see the potential in people, you need to get up and start sitting in the heavenly places because Jesus sees your potential. He sees my potential. Why can't we see other people's potential instead of their problems in the way that, oh, they'll never make it? And we start putting people down. We don't even think about it because we start thinking like the world. We forget where we're seated. We're seated in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. Say, shall abide. Almost sounds like a shalabad. <laughs> shalabad. <laughs> sounds like another language, foreign language. We shall abide if we're seated. Listen, he who dwells in the secret place, in the in the safe, in, in the shelter of the Most High, the highest above all, shall abide. Shall abide again. Abide means dwell, but it also means something else. It means to remain. It means to remain. Abiding means remaining. Amen. And the two go hand in hand. We are not dating God. How many of you have dated somebody? How many of you are dating somebody right now? You see, there's, there's something different about dating and getting married. It's way different. So when you're dating somebody, think about do you want to be married to this person for the rest of your life? Too late, Pastor. I done did it. See, we're in a eternal and eternal relationship or a covenant with Almighty God. It's not dating. You just, well, God... Let's go out tonight. Let's have a good time and you be with me. You get me through tonight and maybe I'll call you next week. We do this again. Uh -uh. He's a jealous God. When you give your life to him, he wants all of you. And I, I understand that's a process. I, I totally understand that. We're, st we're still in the process. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You're still in the process of giving him everything. Even when we say I surrender all, most of us don't even know what that means. We surrender all as much as we know at the time, okay? 
But tomorrow he's going to ask you to surrender something else. And then, oh, that's the I surrender all you talking about yesterday. All right? And then Tuesday he's going to say, I want you to surrender. Oh, that's the, well, Lord, these are lots of I surrenders. But that's what, he's, that's what he expects of us because he knows better than what, he knows what we need better than what we need, that we know that we need. Amen? He does. Does that make sense? He knows better what we need than what we think we need. So we need to s surrender to him. We come to that place, safe place, and we abide with him and we remain in him. That's what he's asking us to do. It's a blood covenant. It's not until death do you part. It's after death we keep on going. Amen? It's a forever covenant. It's a blood covenant. The next is it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. The shadow. We abide under the shadow. What does the shadow mean? It means protection. I don't know about you, but when it's 107 degrees outside, I want to find a shade tree. Or a house with air conditioning that works. Right? You want to get under the shadow. You don't want to burn up. Because you will burn up. Especially if you don't wear a hat and you're bald. I mean, you'll burn up. You need to get under the shadow. You need to get under a shade tree. I was, I was reading. Somebody said this. I, I don't know who said it. But if you're going to stay in somebody's shadow you're going to have to stay real close to them. If somebody's walking and they're, they're casting a shadow and you want to stay in their shadow, you're going to have to really get close to them, follow them very closely. He says, I want you to follow me that closely. I want you to come under my shadow. I want you to follow me. I want you to be faithful to me. I want you to hear me. I want you to, I want you to know me. And that's how we do. We stay in the shadow. You dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's another name for God in the Hebrew. That's the name we say Shaddai. The Almighty. The All-Powerful One. You see, so many people think Satan is so powerful. You know, the only, only power he has is what God, what you give him to have. He has no power except for what you allow him to do in your life. God is the Almighty. Some people like to equate Satan and Jesus. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. And if you want to, if you want to put somebody opposite of Satan, it would be it'd be Michael the Archangel. But it sure wouldn't be Jesus because Jesus is God. He's way above. He's the Almighty. See, whoever God is, that's who Jesus is. That's who the Father is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the Almighty. He's all-powerful. And we give, we give the enemy so much. We, we talk about him too much. Tell him, oh, he's this and he's that and he did this to me and he did. Listen, most of the time when you screw up, it's because you screwed up. It's not, oh, the devil made me know. He's not sitting on your shoulder telling you you shouldn't do this or don't do that. You already know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's your own choice. It's your own selfish desires that get us in trouble. So quit blaming the enemy. Quit blaming the devil on everything. Take, take responsibility. Take responsibility for your actions. Unless you're just... <laughs> should I... The most powerful. Now, that's verse 1. That's good. 
Verse 2. This is so important that you get this part, first part of verse 2. I will say. I will say. Look at your point of yourself. Say, I will say. I will say. Why did he start this verse out like that? Because God knows the power of our words. If you don't know the power, of, I'm, there's a book I'm going to suggest you buy. Get on Amazon. It's called The Power of Your Words by Robert Morris. If you've never been taught, and if you've been never been taught, it means you've been going somewhere else because we teach on the power of your words all the time because there is power in our words. The Bible tells us there, are power, there is power in our words. When Mary Lou was looked back on her Bible, she's, she writes things in her margin. She writes things all I mean, You all see her Bible. I dropped it the other day and like 4,000 pieces of paper came out. Oh, my gosh. So I just gathered them all up, stuffed them in the middle. Where's my handkerchiefs? I said, they're in there. You know, and I was just, was, she keeps every little tidbit, you know, and it's true. It weighs about 30 pounds, and it's just a small Bible. But in, she writes in it, too, so there's a lot of ink weight in there. And, and she says, manifestation, no, declaration equals manifestation. Is that right? Declaration means manifestation. What that means is, I will say. That's your declaration. Proverbs 18, 21, you've heard me quote it many times. Death, most people say life and death, but it says death and life, or in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, the last part of that, I was like, what does that mean that those who love it will eat its fruit? Well, those who are wise enough to love and appreciate the power of what a man says will be blessed and will eat the pleasant fruit of wise and effective speech. I like that. If you're, listen, when you're speaking, you're always speaking one or the other. There's no gray areas. Did you understand that? There's no, there's no gray areas. You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. He didn't say death or life or something else in between. He said death and life are in the power, the ability of the tongue to speak. So Psalm 91 verse 2 starts out with, I will say. Mark 11:22. let me show you what Jesus says about the power of the tongue. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Not whoever thinks to the mountain, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, I know people have taken that verse and they've misused it, and they've abused it, named it, and claimed it, and all that. But he says that if you believe in your heart, and it's got to line up with the Word of God, church. You just don't start speaking things because you think if I say it, it's going to happen. You have, it has to line up with the Word of God. It has to line up with the will of God has to be lined up with the Holy Spirit of God. You just don't start spouting out words because it says. He says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. He, he goes on to say, listen, if you've not forgiven people, you need to forgive people. He doesn't just stop there. But he's saying there's an importance in what we declare in our lives, what we speak over ourselves, what we speak over our children, what we speak over our enemies. I remember when I remember when Justin Bieber became very popular. And one of the first things I liked about him was his, his testimony. He talked about Jesus all the time. Y'all remember that? His mom was a fine Christian, raised him in a fine Christian home, and he's taught he talked about Jesus all the time. I said, Man, that's, that guy's cool. Well, guess what? The enemy got a hold of him and said, "Riches and power and fame. Let's take him down this dark, dirty road." And a lot of the Christians, uh, Justin Bieber, my goodness, he's vile. He's Oh, and you would hear the spew of Christians instead of saying, let's pray for Justin Bieber that he would get back on track like some of us need to get back on track. 
Well, guess what? He's getting back on track. He's talking about Jesus again. He got baptized again. And I, he's not perfect. He lives in probably one of the most imperfect worlds there is in Hollywood. But he goes to church and he tells people about Jesus. He tells them I'm not perfect. See, if we would just start praying for people. I want to tell you, Nancy Pelosi just irks the crud out of me. And God said, you need to start praying for her. She needs Jesus. So, you know, I've got to start. I've got, to, that's, I've got world thinking going on up here. And God says, no, I love her. My son died for her. Why wouldn't, we, why wouldn't we start a campaign to pray for these people that we just over and over we say, this is horrible, I hate her, I hate them, I hate this, I hate... Why don't we just start praying for people that instead of hating on people? We've got to change the way we think. We're seated in a different place. I will say, I will say, I will speak to the mountain. You see, what we say is born out of what we believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I will say, what are you saying? He said, I will say of the Lord. Here's another name for God here. The Lord is Yahweh. Now, the Yahweh is the proper name of the one true God. Yahweh. Don't you like that? Yahweh. And I'm not trying to bring condemnation on people. But I want to tell you this. He's not the big guy. He's not the man upstairs. If you use that terminology, just repent. He's God. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Almighty. He's Yeshua. He's Yalon. He's, he's Adonai. He's all of these things. But he's not the big guy upstairs. Well, I'm going to throw one up to the man upstairs. I, oh, please. Reverence him. Fear God. Respect God. Be in awe of God, but don't, don't bring him down to mere mortal status. He's Yahweh. I put this. I'm going to read it. Because I want to ask you, what do you say? What do you declare? What do you speak of the Lord? In your conversation, in your thought life, what do you speak of the Lord? Because our God responds to our faith, not our futility. God responds to our trust, not our tantrums. God responds to our courage, not to our cowardice. In other words, God is looking for a people. He said, I'm looking, when I come back, I'm looking for people of faith. We've got to begin to recognize. See, I think what's so important about this message today is we have to understand who we're praying to. We have to understand who we're looking for. We have to understand who we're dwelling in, where we are seated. We have to understand all these things. And when we get a spiritual, a, a, a mental attitude about that, we'll begin to speak differently. We'll begin to pray differently. We'll begin to react differently. We'll begin to look differently because we'll recognize whose we are who we belong to, we'll begin to understand our identity a little bit more. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is our refuge. Refuge is a shelter. You know what? Why I like this part of this verse? Because He's, he's making it personal. He said, He's my refuge. 
Say that. He's my refuge. Come on. Personalize it. He's my refuge. He's my protector. He's my shelter. He's my strength. Not just mine. He's yours. He is my refuge. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. It's like the writer of Psalms can't get enough. He, he said, I've got to keep telling you who He is. I've got to be reaffirming. I've got to keep reaffirming who He is to me. He's my fortress. He's my refuge. He's my shelter. He's, I'm under His shadow. Our problem is much of the time is that we know that, but we don't act upon that truth. We get in trouble and we run to past. We, we, we run to our past that got us nowhere. We run to the old friends that got us nowhere. We run back to the bad habits that got us nowhere. We run back to the same old thought life that got us nowhere. And he says, run to me. He said, the Lord is a strong tower. I will run into the strong tower. We've got to run to him, not from him. And you wonder, why, why am I making 911 calls all the time? Pastor, oh, pastor, I need your help. Pastor, I need this. Pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, 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 pastor. And I feel like a 911 operator sometimes. Let me plug you into Jesus. Chick, 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 chick. I got to, you know, just tell, I can't fix anything for you, but I know who can. But he was, he, listen, he will stay there. He will be there if you will abide in him, if you will dwell in him 24-7. He's our fortress. He's our refuge. And when we turn back to the old ways and the old thought lies, we allow doubt and unbelief to seep in. Fear starts to overwhelm us. And we get back into the same old ruts and we have to ask Jesus to come. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, I'm stuck. I'm in a ditch. Well, we have Jesus. He's available. He has a tow truck available. He will come pick you up in about five minutes if you'll just wait there calmly. And then Jesus pulls up in his tow truck, hooks you up, pulls you out of the ditch one more time. Stay on the road, son. Stay the course. You got it, Jesus. <laughs> I will say to the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress. My God. I love Theodore Boone. You ever been around Theodore Boone? My God. Be preaching. My God. You just hear that? He's rumbling deep. I can't even get that deep voice. My God. My God. Personal again. He's my God. Elohim. Elohim means the supreme God. He is the supreme. So if you've figured out so far, man, he's above everything, everyone. There's none like him. Right? He's Elohim. You know, we have a supreme court in this country, and we think, oh, they if they vote, they have the final word. They don't have the final word. Jesus has the final word. As a matter of fact, the supreme, the supreme court judges are going to be judged by the supreme judge someday, as we all are. And finally, the last part of verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Two verses. After all of that, 
is there any question why we should not trust him? Right? If he's all of that, shouldn't we trust him? If he's your deliverer, if he's your God, if he's all these things we just said in two verses, shouldn't we trust him with our lives? Shouldn't we trust him with our families? Shouldn't we trust him with our country? Shouldn't we trust him with everything that we have, all of our possessions? Shouldn't we trust him because he knows better than we know? He is God and we're not. He's just asking us to dwell with him. The more you dwell in him, the more you will trust him. The more you dwell in him, the more you'll love him. The more you dwell in him, the more you'll understand his grace. The more you dwell in him, the more you'll understand his forgiveness. If you just spend time with him, you will find out that he wants to get to know you more and more and more. It's a marriage. It's not a dating game. And it's a good marriage. It's a covenant marriage. It's a blood covenant marriage. Would you stand? Could I have the ministry team come?